G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. After our third child was born, the arthritis came back with a vengeance and it got really bad. And at one stage I was holding our five-month-old baby in the kitchen and just all strength was gone out of my arms and I dropped him on the floor and I ended up on the floor crying and basically saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, we're going to hear how a miraculous healing totally changed the direction of two people's lives, the person who was healed and the person's husband. Rudy and Jeanette Rapp were born in Holland and immigrated to Australia in 1982. Unfortunately, Jeanette was told that she would end up having to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair because of severe rheumatoid arthritis. But then... God stepped in. Rudy and Jeanette are sharing their story with Eric Scatterbo in our Melbourne studios. Welcome to the program, Rudy and Jeanette Rapp. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And let's go back to growing up in Holland. What was that like, Jeanette? Um, yeah, I grew up as um, one of two children in my family, a very small family. Rudy and my family are the total opposite of, of one another. He's got a huge family and my family is incredibly small. And uh, I grew up in a non-Christian family. Um, But through the years, I got to know Christian friends, and um, they, in the end, ended up inviting me to church. Um, I grew up in a university city, Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of research institutes there, and my dad was a researcher. And I actually loved being with him in the lab. And then uh, at one stage when I was close to 14 years old, um, I started to realize that I had, was actually living with a lot of pain. And for a long time, nobody could actually determine what it was. And eventually I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. In the beginning, that was at not... At 14 years old. At 14 years old, yeah. It is a very unusual age um, to have it. There is a juvenile kind of arthritis, but that is usually diagnosed around about five years of age. And then there's the adult version, but I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at a very unusual age. And, and that's why it took so long for it to actually be diagnosed. And in the beginning, it wasn't too bad. It was just in my, in my hips and in my hands. And when I finally got to know Rudy... Um, yeah, how that did was you come to meet this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was invited to a, uh, um, a Christian youth group. And that youth group had different chapters all over the country. And Rudy lived in a different city than I did. And there was this national day, and that's where I met him. Okay, Rudy, let's uh, hear your side of the story growing up. Uh, let's start at the beginning. I was born in a Christian family. I grew up in a, in a little country village. And even outside the village, we lived right in the middle of the forest. Uh, Mum and Dad were devout Christians. We were part of a Protestant denomination in Holland. And basically every Sunday, as far as I can remember, every Sunday we went to church. I was only a few days old. And my parents took me to church, dedicated my life to Jesus through the ritual Mm -hmm. of baptism. Mm -hmm. 
And when I was about six or seven, maybe eight years old, one Sunday morning, I said to my father, Papa, I don't want to go to church. And my father looked at me really angry and he says, Rudy, you must go to church. And I said, Papa, why? He says, if you don't go to church, God will be very angry with you. And that put a fear in my heart for the rest of my life, for a very well, for a very long time since then. To me, the Bible became about rules, do's mm-hmm. and don'ts. If you do the do's well, then God will be happy with you and will love you. If you do the don'ts, then God will not be happy with you. Yeah, and it kind of sounds like a uh, cosmic Santa Claus. He's making a list, checking it twice, seeing if you're naughty or nice, and if you're naughty, you're not going to get any presents or rewards. I think that's a good description. <laughs> Every day at the dinner table, my mother would read a few chapters of the Bible to mm-hmm. all my brothers and sisters. There was five of us, plus mom and dad. My father had a love for engineering. He was a uh, bulldozer operator and other machinery. Uh, he loved autos, and he started to teach me how to drive a car when I was between six and eight years old. Really? When I was eight years old, I could drive a car by myself. Wow. When I was 12 years old... There I, are laws against these type of things. No, no, you can drive them <laughs> on private property. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, when, because I lived in the middle of the forest, oh, okay. uh, it was not an issue. Yeah. And when I was 12 years old, I actually became a tractor driver for one of my uncles just down the road. But another significant event that happened at 12 years old was when I re- read a book about Australia. And I just so loved the book and about the history of Australia and the current life in Australia. And I basically told to myself, I said, that's the country where you're going to live. It was just a private experience, but a very significant experience. Now that I know the Holy Spirit and I look back at that, I know it was a Holy Spirit experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I did not know that. So life goes on. So I went to high school. I went to a Christian primary school, to Christian high school. And then I finally entered the uh, university for a Bachelor of Automotive Engineering. And when does uh, Jeanette come into the picture? Jeanette comes into it when I was at this university. So I was part of the local chapter of the, uh, basically it was like a rural chapters of Christian youth. And they organized sports days and national days. And I had seen her at one event before and I thought she was a very interesting girl. And then I met her a second time and there was some music and some dancing. I invited her to dance with me, which she agreed to. And then I asked her if I could take her home, and she agreed to that. And then I had a problem because I had two of my sisters in the car, and I had to dump them with a friend of the family <laughs> <laughs> so that I could bring Jeanette home. And that's where our relationship started. I don't know. Uh, you might have been in trouble with your sisters, but you started a new relationship with your future wife. Uh, that's right. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And it was a wonderful experience, too. So I asked her for permission to meet her again, and she agreed. So the next Friday evening, I picked her up, and that's how our relationship started. So then eventually you were married, and then you decided to go to Australia? Or how does Australia come into well, the picture? Well, let's go back before we got married, probably two years before we got married, when we knew that it was going to be serious between us and that there was a chance of actually you know, having a long-term marriage relationship. I started to introduce that subject of what happened to me when I was 12 years old when I knew I wanted to live in Australia, and that was the first thing that I was dreaming about again as soon as this Wow, started. so that, that, that idea stuck with you all those years. Oh, yes, absolutely. And the, the first thing when I thought about, okay, if we get married, where will we live? Australia. So I asked Jeanette, could you live in a different country? What were you thinking, Jeanette? Oh, I was thinking, well, I can live in, in Germany. I can live in Belgium or France or England even. A nearby uh, country. 
Yeah, a nearby country in Europe. That's where, where we were. I never even thought about Australia. So when, when Rudy said, uh, would, would you like to live in Australia? I had to think about it for a little while. It is a long way. <laughs> 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 but uh, the idea really uh, sat well with me. So then we started begin to, uh, to make the plans to migrate. And uh, we migrated two days after we got married. Wow. So things happened fast. Yes. Oh, yes. So we researched how we could actually migrate and got in contact with the embassy, filled in all the paperwork. And then because of Dutch regulation, we actually had to get married twice. Is that right? Uh, in Holland, a minister is not the official celebrant. You have to go to town hall first. And so you get officially married for the government, and then a minister can do the Christian ceremony after that. That's just the rules in Holland. Oh, okay. But because we were migrating straight away, most people said, why don't you first settle six months in Holland? And I said, why would you start a life in Holland if you want to go and migrate? You've got to find a house, furniture, and everything else. I said, no, we're going straight away. So we got, Friday, we got married on the Wednesday in the town hall. We had two witnesses, my mother and her father. And That's a small wedding. And after I got, <laughs> after I got married to her, I went home with my mum. <laughs> because that was the reality. Then on Thursday, we went to the embassy, got all of our paperwork sorted because her surname changed. Yeah. We got all the paperwork sorted, and on Friday, we got married. Friday is the normal day in Holland to do it. And on Friday, we got married in the church. On Saturday, we said goodbye to all the people. And on Sunday, we took the aeroplane to Australia. For your honeymoon. For our For honeymoon. Yes. <laughs> yep. Which was your new way of life. Yep, very much a new way of life. And a lot of learning to do. Yeah. Um, 1982? 1982, yep. Um, our English was okay, but yeah, we needed to really learn a lot of language. Uh, but really had work within a week, and I had work within six weeks, funnily enough, teaching English in a high school. <laughs> <laughs> and but, how was your health at this point? Uh, at that point, it was still uh, pretty okay. Um I was on medication and I did have a, quite a bit of pain, but I could still move. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I was still able mm -hmm. to do uh, many of the things that you normally would do. And Australia treated us really well. We were able to buy a house after about a year and God gave us three beautiful children. Mm -hmm. Things are going well. Uh, the pregnancies were incredible. They, um, actually, during the pregnancy, uh, the immune system slows down and that suppressed the arthritis somewhat. Um, but then after our third child was born, um, about four or five months after, the arthritis came back with a vengeance and mm. it got really bad. And I couldn't open jam jars. I, I couldn't lift my hands. I couldn't carry any water or any, anything heavy. And at one stage, I was holding our five-month-old baby in the kitchen and just all strength was gone out of my arms. And oh, I wow. dropped him Wow! Dropped him on the floor. And I ended up on the floor crying and basically saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. Um, this, this family is better off without me. And so, yeah, and there were some little plants uh, going around in my in my mind to end my life and give the family an opportunity to have a better wife and a better mm. mother. Um, but somehow I I got the strength together to to keep going and to keep being there for the for the children until about two years after that, where I went to the rheumatologist and he said to me, "Well, you've got to prepare yourself to go into a wheelchair." 
uh, it won't be long, probably one or two years, and then there will just not be anything anymore that me- mm-hmm. medical science can do for you. And how old were you at this point? I was in my early 30s at that time. So such a young age to be given this news. Yeah, yeah. And basically the bottom fell out of my world. Um, it was it was so bad that uh, at one stage I was swimming in a, in a swimming pool with with our children and I fainted because of the pain. Oh, wow. And if it wasn't for Rudy coming home early, I would have drowned in front of the kids. And so Rudy fished me out of the water and took wow. me to bed and... Um, yeah, that's, that's really when I became very desperate. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo was chatting with Rudy and Jeanette Rapp. And unfortunately, at this point in their story, things are looking pretty bleak for Jeanette, health-wise. But that's not how the story ends. Next, we'll find out how God miraculously changes the whole situation and completely changes both of their lives. All that and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo chatting with Rudy and Jeanette Rapp, who were originally from Holland and immigrated to Australia in 1982. Before the break, we heard how, unfortunately, Jeanette's health was rapidly deteriorating, and it looked like she was going to have to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair due to severe rheumatoid arthritis. However, that's not how the story ends. Next, we're going to hear how God miraculously changes the whole situation. Yeah, and then it wasn't until, I think, a couple of months after that that uh, I was invited to a small home group. I had heard about this home group in the church where we were at the time, and it was a little bit controversial. Um, People were talking about the Holy Spirit. People were talking about Jesus in a very personal, intimate way. And this was not the way you were raised? No, I had never ever heard people talk about Jesus in, in a relationship kind of um, talk and, mm-hmm. and so I was invited and we were a little bit um, hesitant about it but I had seen my friends and my friends started to change mm-hmm. and they had become free and they and you could see it in their faces and so I did go to that meeting and it was an amazing, amazing night. It started at 7.30 and by 12 o'clock at night, we were still going. Wow. And there were testimonies, there, were, there was prayer, there was uh, worship, there were so many different things. And at 12 o'clock, um, one of the guys said, well, actually, I have to start work really early tomorrow. <laughs> I need to go home. This has to end sometime. <laughs> yeah. So we went home and, and it was in March. I was getting a little bit coolish and we were putting our jackets on in the hallway. And there my friend said, can we just pray for Jeanette? She is in so much pain. So... It wasn't an, a holy kind of an environment. It was in between the shoes and the boots and, and the jacket <laughs> that, that uh, two people laid their hands on, on my shoulders and they prayed. Now, I can't remember what they prayed. I mm. presume they prayed for healing. But I do remember what happened to me. And it was um, like waves of warmth 
and what I'll just call it waves of love going mm. through me. And yeah. on every wave, I saw the name of Jesus. And it was like Jesus was saying, what is happening to you right now? It's okay. It's me. You don't have to worry mm. about this. So it was a short prayer. So as I was in the car driving home, I thought, wow, that was an amazing night. What an atmosphere. And then I started to realize now something bigger has happened here. And I felt like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. So I got home. Rudy was already asleep. He had been looking after the children. And I shook him awake. I said, Rudy, Rudy, listen to me. The power of the Holy Spirit has touched me. And he said, ah, go to sleep tomorrow. You will be normal again. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting reaction. (laughs) And I stood next to the bed and I said, God, Normal for me is an enormous amount of pain. Normal for me is deterioration all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, normal for me would be eventually in a wheelchair, and I don't want that kind of normal. Mm-hmm. I don't want that anymore. And give me an abnormal life. And then I went to sleep. And then the next morning when I woke up, I realized that for the first time in five years, I had slept through the whole night without waking up wow. uh, because of pain. Mm-hmm. And as I was still lying down, I started to realize I was moving easier. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take myself to a mirror because I, I had started to walk in a very crooked way. My shoulders were out of line. And so I took myself to a mirror and I saw that I was standing up straight and I could raise my hands. And I realized then God has healed me. Wow. After thinking that you were going to be in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was a complete turnaround. Um, By that time, my youngest was five years old, and I could lift him up. Like, at five months old, I dropped him, but at five years old, I could even hold him above my head. Wow. Um, So, there was just miraculous strength coming in me as well. I had to learn to walk again. Yeah, wow. that was and so completely changing your life. Absolutely completely changing my life. Going from a very depressing diagnosis yep. to endless possibilities now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wow. absolutely. And Rudy, you uh it sounds like we're a bit skeptical when she first told you when she woke you up. Well, she told me about my reaction. So, you know, uh, my reaction was please go to sleep tomorrow you will be normal. Where did that reaction come from? So, Back to the time when I was talking to my father, I don't want to go to church. So God became like the angry judge in the sky. The official teaching of the denomination I belonged to was that when the last apostle died, all miracles of God stopped. As I said before, I went to a Christian high school. So that's not supposed to happen then. No, exactly. So, so, so God happened? has to try to work into your theology, you're kind of saying. Uh, well, <laughs> my theology, my view of theology did not fit what was happening at that time in, in our in life. reality. It just didn't fit. Yeah. The reality did not fit with the theology. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Christian high school, I lived in a you know, mostly a Protestant environment. But one of the girls at high school identified as Pentecostal, whereas most people belong to you know a fairly traditional denomination. And I talked to my father about that. I said, Dad, this girl, she, she calls herself Pentecostal. What does that mean? And Dad says, Pentecostals are, are nice people, but they're deceived. Don't trust them when they talk about theology. So there was this warning from my father, which stayed with me as well. So then we moved to Australia. We moved to a similar denomination. And even during those 11 years, especially the last five years before the healing, 
uh, people would pray in the church for healing every Sunday. Jeanette was on the list with all the old people that had something wrong with them. And every week they would pray for them. But at the same time, the church officially taught that healings didn't happen anymore. Mm. So you have this contradiction that you live with, but you don't really question that contradiction. But when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the New Testament, the, the Gospels, as soon as Jesus did something supernatural, the traditional religious people often act up. And they had this reaction, this is wrong, this is bad. And that's where my reaction comes from. If I look back now, in the first 33 years of my life, I just grew to become a really strong Pharisee. I was actively wanting to believe against anything supernatural. Just believe and everything else will be okay. One day you will go to heaven. So when this big miracle in our life happened, I mean, we had sold our business so that I could care for Jeanette and the children. When the diagnosis came, you will not be able to look after yourself. And she couldn't anymore. So I sold the business. I started to look after her. So now she's healed. And I have lots of time to think. I don't have to go to work because I had sold my business. So every day I'm thinking about what has happened here. And I went to see some people in, in the church. I said, you know what has happened to her? What do I believe? What with our traditional doctrine? What do I believe? And I didn't get satisfactory answers. So I realized that for the first time in my life, I needed to start to read the Bible, not because I wanted to know about God, but because I wanted to know God. I wanted to know if this could really be him that did it. So one evening, about six weeks, so for six weeks I had this enormous spiritual battle in my mind, in my heart. I'm thinking, I, I want to believe this is true, but I've been taught for 33 years this can't be true. So one evening after six weeks, I decided to read the whole Gospel of Mark. And I love the Gospel of Mark. It's short. It's to the point. It goes from miracle to miracle to miracle. <laughs> so your kind of gospel. <laughs> and, and, all, and all those four, it's with the Pharisees that Jesus has. They are in there. Those, yeah. and, and those questions are being asked by the Pharisees. And when I finished the whole book, 16 chapters, I shut my Bible. And it was 12 o'clock at night. And I started to pray. Just myself, just quietly in a quiet place, I started to ask God some questions. And this is what I say. After 33 years in the church, I prayed this prayer. Listen carefully to somebody who can pray this. I said, God, if you are alive today, 33 years in the church still had not given me that confidence that was actually true. Hmm. And then the next sentence was, God, if it is you who has touched my wife, then I don't know you. And my next sentence was, but I want to know you, God. At that moment, something happened to me that I cannot describe in words. But I call it the Holy Spirit came upon me. I started to cry like a little baby. All of a sudden, I realized a thousand percent for sure. God is real. He is alive. He did this miracle. And I'm the beneficiary of this miracle. But not only did we receive a healing, you see, the children got a brand new mother back. Mm, I got yeah, a brand new yeah. wife back. Yeah. And at the same time, I've got no work. I've got no business. I'm home, but Jeanette starts to care for herself and the children again. I mean, I remember the day that I fished her out of the swimming pool so well. For one reason or another, I was never early home from work. I was a workaholic. I stayed at work as long as I could, but I came home early that day and just in time to actually fish her out of the pool. Mm. And she would have gone yeah. completely in front yeah. of the children. <laughs> so all of a sudden, we just realize the richness and uh, who is it in the Bible that says, me and my household? Joshua. Joshua says, you know, this me and my household yep. will serve the Lord. Yep. Really soon after that experience that I had personally receiving the Holy Spirit, 
and understanding his real love for us. I just said, I made a commitment. I said, God, everything I have, everything I own, it's all yours. We wanted to serve you, and we will serve you, me and my household, we will serve you, whatever you have for us, Lord. And we just basically started a whole new, different life. Wow. So I guess it's almost an understatement that the Lord really rocked your world. Oh, yes. And I can tell you, my life was not normal after that experience with the Holy Spirit. My life was abnormal every day since because (laughs) my normal life was in business. My normal life was work hard and then God will bless you. And, you know, this this healing was just a gift that came out of nowhere between boots and coats in a hallway in a home, but a home where people love Jesus. So I'm just kind of summing up here, Jeanette. You got this miraculous healing, yes. so your life is completely changed. Mm. Rudy, you go from kind of a pharisaical kind yes. of view of God, as you said, to a growing relationship with him, and, and your faith is growing leaps and bounds. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, the Lord starts to work in your heart as far as sharing the good news with others. Yep. That was exactly the thing. Once you have an experience like that, you just can't be quiet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you read some of the stories where miracles happen to people and all of a sudden they go around and want to tell everybody and they want to travel Mm -hmm. with Jesus and and see what other things he does. Okay, well, I'm going to stop you right there because there's so many exciting things happen. Once you've decided to just put your lives in his hands, he takes you on all kinds of adventures, including to the former Soviet Union and other places doing ministry. But unfortunately... We've run out of time for this part one of our conversation with Rudy and Jeanette. We'd like to invite you both back again next time to share more of your story. Is that going to be okay? That's going to be fantastic. That was part one of Eric Scatterbo's conversation with Rudy and Jeanette Rapp, who are sharing their amazing story. As we just heard, this is just the beginning of their wonderful adventures in ministry that will take them to many parts of the world, including the former Soviet Union. So we invite you to join us next time for part two of their story. But before we go, here's an appropriate verse to end today's program. It's from the book of Psalms. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. Well, until next time, when we hear more of Rudy's and Jeanette's incredible story, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. As we put the plastic bags onto the floor in one of these orphanages, boy comes running up, sees what is inside, starts crying, runs to his supervisor. Supervisor comes and have a look at it and she starts crying. So I asked, what is the story here? And she said, the boy has been invited to come to school camp, but the school stipulated he must have a sleeping bag. And here comes this crazy foreigner from Holland. And just in that clear plastic bag happens to be a sleeping bag. Rudy Rapp thought his wife Jeanette was going to have to spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair due to severe rheumatoid arthritis. However, after God miraculously healed her, they began to travel to various parts of the world sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. We'll hear more of their story next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.